Thank you, Pete. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be here, isn't it? Well, my name is Dave, and I'm one of the uh, leaders here uh, at the Vine Church. Um, continue to pray for Tim, because uh, he's not been well for a little while, actually, and, and, and we just want him to be well, don't we? You know, he carries a big burden of a church, you know, a big burden. We need to encourage him, get behind him, bless him, and pray for him. It's so important. So pray for Tim in your quiet time okay, over this week, that God would uh, restore him. Uh, now, two weeks ago, we started a new series entitled Life, Faith, and Exiles, Living Life in a Post-Christian World. Now, the basis of this study uh, is from 1 Thessalonians, which is found in the Bible, uh, the 13th book uh, in the New Testament. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to recap briefly uh, what's happened so far in the last couple of weeks. Okay, 1 Thessalonians, firstly, is a letter written to the congregation of a new church which had been established by the Apostle Paul in Thessalonica. Now, the historical background uh, and context for this letter uh, can be found by reading the book of Acts, chapter 16 and 17, and hopefully in your life groups this week, you will have discussed maybe Acts 16 and 17 and got a bit of the feel of the background. Now, you may recall that I said last week Thessalonica is currently uh, Greece's second largest city, and it's a popular tourist destination, although we did find out last week that it can't be that popular because nobody had been there, all right? Apart from this week, I spoke to Alan Jane. Apparently, Alan Jane have been to Thessalonica uh, can't a long time ago and can't remember much about it. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, obviously, a very popular tourist uh, destination. Now, around 50 AD, which is the time we're talking about, it was already a thriving seaport uh, and business uh, and trade center with a population of around 200,000. So, quite similar, I guess, to uh, the town of Paul's. And then Paul started by preaching the gospel, if you remember, in the synagogue at Thessalonica. A number of people believed and a new church was planted. However, there was a huge opposition to this new church. Uh, and uh, Paul and Silas, uh, the, these people came, uh, the Jews uh, caused this riot in the city, and Paul, of Silas, Paul and Silas basically had to leave uh, the city, and they moved on to the next one, uh, which was Berea. Now, here they were accepted for a time, uh, but the Jews from Thessalonica found out that they were having success in Berea, didn't like it, sent a posse down, caused another riot, and off they went again. And they moved on from Berea to Athens, and then on to Corinth, which is where Paul writes the book of Thessalonians. So, effectively, against his will, Paul had to abandon the Thessalonian church, leave them to fend for themselves with significant opposition and encourage them remotely by letter. And this was the source of a lot of stress for Paul because he'd been to Thessalonica, he planted the church and now he'd been chucked out of Thessalonica and had to handle this church remotely, leaving these poor new Christians in the thick of the storm. He wanted to be there with them. Now, in the first week, Tim brought his word from the first chapter where Paul encourages the Thessalonian Christians to be an example to others, not to follow culture, uh, but uh, to change culture by their actions and their attitudes. Now, Tim left us with the rhetorical question, are you and I an example to others, and do we follow culture or do we change culture? 
Now, last week, uh, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we looked at pleasing God rather than pleasing man. We looked at walking in a manner. Do we walk in a manner that is worthy of our calling, worthy of God, and accepting the word of God as it actually is, God's word, powerful and active, building faith and changing circumstances. And I put a challenge out, if you recall, to all the mature Christians here. If you're a young Christian, you can close your ears for a minute. This was to all the mature Christians out there. I think we may have a problem with our hearing. Not because we're old and don't have such great hearing, but our faith may have become familiar and stale. And much of what we say and hear now is merely words. And that is a real problem for us because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If we don't have faith, it's impossible to please God. And this week then, as we move into 1 Thessalonians 3, we're going to look at how it is important to be resilient in our faith when uh, the going gets tough. I'm going to take, if you want to, you're very welcome to look up in your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians 3 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, you can uh, gather one from the... uh, from the table over there. I guess most of you will be on your smartphones. I would just encourage you not to check your emails or Facebook whilst you're doing that. All right, but uh, remember just to continue to look to the front and hear what the Word of God says. I'm going to read this from the Message Translation this morning. Now, I'm not a great fan of the Message Translation, but when I read this, And I saw the context and I saw the paraphrase. I thought, no, this is good. This is a good sense of this passage. This is what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. So when we couldn't stand being separated from you any longer and could find no way to visit you ourselves, we stayed in Athens and sent Timothy to get you up and about, cheering you on so you wouldn't be discouraged by these hard times. He's a brother and companion in the faith, God's man in spreading the message and preaching Christ. Not that the trouble should come as any surprise to you. You've always known that we're in for this kind of thing. It's part of our calling. When we were with you, we made it quite clear that there was trouble ahead. And now that it's happened, you know what it's like. Please note, no, I'm really sorry about that, folks. The trouble's there. You know what it's like. Expect it. That's why I couldn't quit worrying. Ah, here we go. I had to know for myself how you were doing in the faith. I didn't want the tempter getting to you and tearing down everything we'd have built up together. But now that Timothy is back, bringing this terrific report on your faith and love, we feel a lot better. It's especially gratifying to know that you continue to think well of us and that you want to see us as much as we want to see you. In the middle of our trouble and hard times here, Just knowing how you're doing keeps us going. Knowing that your faith is alive keeps us alive. You know, the first observation I take uh, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 is this. Paul describes Timothy as a companion in the faith. And that is what we are this morning to each other. We are companions in the faith. Uh, We are journeying together. Our purpose is to cheer each other up. That's good, yeah? 
Our purpose is to cheer each other on in the fight and in the race because we get all the rubbish from outside, don't we? We need each other to cheer each other up in good times and in bad times, recognizing each other as men and women of the Spirit who can impart faith into our lives by the words that we bring. Paul, you know, it says here, he really needed Timothy. Imagine what the Christian walk would be like on your own, folks, today. What would it be like to walk this Christian walk on your own? I can honestly say this morning that I really appreciate having you guys in my life. I really do. I love the church. It's God's plan for the world. I do. I love the church. And God loves the church. And so we should love the church too. It's amazing it works at all, isn't it? Because only God could think that up, couldn't he? Only God could think the church up. Because if we had it, it wouldn't be like this, would it? It would be different. But God has chosen to have the church this way. You know, when you bring a prophetic word on a Sunday morning, it speaks to my spirit and it parts faith in me. When you come with a word of God from God's word, it imparts faith in me and in you. And it's good. And we're here and we're companions journeying uh, together. I thank God for people I can talk to who know Jesus like I know him. New creations who've encouraged me in my life. Resilient men of faith and women of faith who have spurred me on through difficult circumstances. You know, I don't know about you, but when I'm in a bad place, I don't need people to tell me it's a bad place. What I need is for people to remind me who God is and that he is with me in the bad place and he is the deliverer from the bad place. But I want to go a little step beyond that and say, do you know what? Sometimes he doesn't always deliver us from the bad place. But true faith is saying, I'll continue to trust you even though you don't. We were reminding ourselves in life group this week that God is good all the time. All the time. Even through those tough and hard decisions in our life. God is good all the time. Hebrews 10 verse 22 to 25 says this. It says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to spur up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some is, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We're companions in the faith this morning. And we need to appreciate each other for who we are and for the encouragement that we bring. The next thing we pick up from this passage is in verse 3. And it says this, that we should expect opposition when we are preaching the gospel and doing something worthwhile. You know, if things are easy, then we really have to question whether what we are doing is the right thing. Because the enemy will just allow us to carry on and do 
the rubbish stuff, you know, the stuff that doesn't achieve anything, the stuff that does nothing in the spirit, all the periphery of church, if you like. He's quite happy to let us carry on doing that stuff and getting no result. So we have to question sometimes where we are with God. But when we start feeling the heat, then we know that something is happening in the spirit. Uh, Jesus says in John 15, 18, he says, tells his disciples, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. In John 16, he goes on to say, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. Don't worry about it. I've overcome the world. In the same chapter, he says, all this I have told you so that you don't fall away. The time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. Just think about that statement for a minute. If we consider the many beheadings of Christians across uh, the Middle East by Muslim extremists over these last few years, that's what they believe. They believe that they are doing a service to God by beheading Christians. That's exactly what Jesus said. You know, over my life, um, I've seen many people come to Jesus accept him into their life, they've run well for a while, and then something negative happens and they fall away, they get disillusioned, and suddenly it's God or the church's fault. And it's therefore really important that when we come to Christ, our, uh, our expectation is not flawed. We are told that when we receive Jesus into our lives, that our lives change for the better, and that is 100% true. In that, our sins are forgiven. We have peace with God. We inherit eternal life. The Spirit of God dwells within us. However, many interpret that a change for the better as a means to self-indulgence, that all their dreams will come true and all their troubles taken away. It's all about how God can service them and their lives. When in reality, when we come to Christ, we give up our lives for the service of our master. But in the process of devoting our lives to him and obeying his word and living to honor him, we carry his favor and his blessing and he provides for us. I, would, I tell you what, it's great to carry the favor and blessing of God in your life. When you go into a circumstance and you, you, you can be assured of success in a circumstance because you know that you carry the favor and the blessing of God himself. Like David says in Psalm 23, one you know really well, um, mentioned this morning, Jane, you said about the sheep, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want for anything. Wow. That's amazing, isn't it? I shall not want for anything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Let me tell you, the rod and staff is not very comforting sometimes because it goes bang, swat like that, and it pulls the sheep in line and it pulls them back into place. Your rod and your staff comfort me because they keep me on the right track, heading towards our final destination in Christ. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. 
and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Isn't that cool, huh? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. It's interesting to see how the disciples prayed when they were threatened and opposed. Uh, In Acts 4, verse 29, it says this. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God, boldness, of, of God with boldness. You know, there's no mention here, is there, of, Lord, please take away our troubles. But rather, give us boldness continue to continue, even though we have troubles, even though the threats are still there. Um, I was talking to Al recently, if you remember this name, and Al gave us a good illustration about about grit in an oyster. You ever heard how grit gets in an oyster and what happens to the oyster? I've got a little poem for you about the oyster. I've told this before, but in 2002, so you probably don't remember it. Okay? If you do, I'd be amazed. (laughs) I'd be really amazed. There once was an oyster, whose story I tell, who found that sand had got under his shell. Just one little grain, but it gave him much pain. For oysters have feelings, although they're so plain. How did he berate the working of fate, which had led him to such a deplorable state? Did he curse out the government, call for an election? No, as he lay on the shelf, he said to himself, if I cannot remove it, I'll try to improve it. So the years rolled by, as the years always do, and he came to his ultimate destiny, stew. And this small grain of sand which had bothered him so, with a beautiful pearl, all richly aglow. Now this tale has a moral, for isn't it grand what an oyster can do with a morsel of sand? What couldn't we do if we'd only begin with all of the things that get under our skin? Another point we take from this passage is found in verse 5. And Paul was concerned for the Thessalonian church. Uh, He wasn't able to be there and he he, he was worried. And do you know what he was worried about? It says it here, he said he was worried that the tempter would get to them. He was worried that the tempter would get to him. The tempter being our enemy, Satan. And very often when persecution and trouble comes, so does the enemy with words of discouragement and lies, cynicism, mockery, undermining God's word and God's people. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, verse 6 to 11. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. 
And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Now, I don't have to tell you this, do I? But be aware that we are all attacked by the enemy, but we're encouraged to be watchful in case we ourselves are deceived and become agents of the enemy in opposing God's work. Really important. John 10 verse 10 says, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So when he comes, he comes to rob us of our peace, rob us of our joy and faith. He comes to kill dreams and destroy promises, to disillusion, to deliver doubt, thereby making us impotent as Christians, because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And the enemy knows that. He can take your, at the, at the point at which you connect with God, which is your faith, if he can put doubt in you, that is the point where you become impotent as a Christian. And we then get subjected then, don't we, to a number of internal dialogues that happen. What I call the satanic talks, which come. The has God said doubt talk. The what's the point talk. The sin justification talk. The you're a really bad Christian talk. The nothing I ever say is good enough talk. The I'm tired and can't be bothered talk. The he or she doesn't like you talk. The I'm not sure I can handle this talk. The church is not for you talk. The nobody appreciates you talk. That's just the first 10 volumes. All right. There's an infinite number of alternatives and you've had these. I've had these. You know what goes on in here. Let's not let's not kid ourselves, folks, what goes on in here. We know. And we know when the enemy is at work and when he's not. You know, our minds become like little landing sticks, don't they? For bad news. We entertain a thought. It gathers support from a few other thoughts. It's ratified by someone looking at you a bit funny. And before long, it's become a doctrine and a stronghold. Isn't that how our minds work? And we create stories. And the enemy creates stories. And he throws petrol on it to fan the flames. And suddenly it becomes something it's not. That's not God's heart for us as a church. That's not God's heart. And Paul was concerned for the Thessalonian Christians that all the hard work he had done to establish would be destroyed under the threat of opposition. But what joy he expresses, doesn't he, when he gets a good report of how resilient they've been against the suffering. And in the middle, he says, in the middle of our trouble and hard times here, just knowing how you're doing keeps us going. Knowing that your faith is alive keeps us alive. I love that. Because that's how we should be with each other. How, you know, just to hear that something good is happening over there. Wow, brilliant. That's just, that's fantastic. Praise God for that. Praise God that God's kingdom is being built over here and it's being built over here and it's being built over here and over here. God's kingdom is expanding. Praise his name. Nothing pleases God 
this morning more than to see his kingdom being established through us. And nothing should please us more than to see God's people walking in faith. As we come to prayer, and I, I just want to make, make a point today. You know, there may be things that you've heard this morning. You think, you know what, I need to put that right. Or I need to ask God to pray for me in this situation. We're going to give you an opportunity for prayer, which is at the back. And uh, the guys have come, those people who are prayer ministry team, could you just stand a minute so that people can see who you are? So that if people need prayer, so you've got Jamie at the back, Jane here, and Alan Jane. They're going to go to the back, and they're going to uh, pray for you, okay, if you want prayer this morning, as Penny comes back to lead us in worship. But as we come to prayer, I just want to recap on what we've just spoken about, okay? We are companions on this journey together. Aren't we lucky? Aren't we lucky to have each other? on this journey together. Let's enjoy it. Let's enjoy the journey. Let's expect opposition because we're going to get it. Expect opposition, but don't be afraid of it. Let's be watchful of the enemy's tactics and resist him. But let's rejoice in seeing the lives of others going on with God. Let's just pray. Our Father, we come to you this morning. In the name of Jesus. And we just pray for your hand to be on your church. Lord, help us to encourage one another. As Paul so clearly says in this letter to the Thessalonians. Let us, Lord God, be strong and resilient when opposition comes. And I pray, Lord God, that we would resist the enemy. And how he would create internal dialogues within us. Lord, as we come to prayer this morning as we hand back to Penny. I just pray, Father, that your spirit would be here upon your people. And Lord God, that however old we are, however long we've been in the faith, that we would hear what you want to say to us this morning. Because without hearing your word, it's impossible. Because we cannot but faith. And so, Lord God, without faith, it's impossible to please you. And I pray this morning, give us more faith. Help us, Lord, in our walk with you. In Jesus' name. Amen.